0: Hi, my name is Nate Bloom. I'm the executive director of the Nebraska Grain Sorghum Board and the Nebraska Sorghum Producers Association. I work for farmers who are growing a crop that is a healthy option for people, animals, and the planet. As a part of my job, I get to talk with some super interesting people who are doing some super interesting things on a regular basis. I learned so much from these conversations and I thought you might enjoy them as well. Welcome to this episode of Sergeant Sorghum and his amazing friends. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sergeant Sorghum and his amazing friends. I'm your host, Nate Bloom. I'm the executive director of the Nebraska Grain Sorghum Board and the Nebraska Sorghum Producers Association. I'm, listen, we've had a lot of fun with these episodes. The first four in particular have been great. Uh, today is kind of a geek moment for me, like even more of a geek moment than normally I have on these episodes, uh, because I get to actually talk with somebody that I've, I've kind of followed on social media for a few years, um, and, and we could talk a little bit about how that relationship started, uh, but uh, I'm really excited to actually get to speak to him in person for the first time today, and you at home get to watch, so I want to introduce Mr. Jeff Senor. Um, Jeff, Boy, I, where can I start with the accolades? You're a retired Southwest Airlines pilot. You've got a great band that does a lot of excellent work for veterans. And, uh, and you do some really cool things now that you're, quote, quote, retired. I mean, where do I start?
1: Well, thank you, Nate. I appreciate it. And I'm honored to be on your show and uh, can't thank you enough. Um, yeah, I've, I've always believed that you got to live every day to the fullest. So people go, how's retirement? And I kind of go, well, I really didn't retire. It was just a change in course. And that's, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing now. So, uh, yeah, 25-year captain at Southwest. I miss Southwest and I miss the people. But I'm actually really, really enjoying life still. So,
0: When you were at Southwest, and I, I think I saw this like when you retired, but I think I saw it some other times too, you would do like concerts in the terminals right? Between flights? Yeah. Well, uh, a lot
1: of, I carried my guitar for for years and uh, in ni- uh, 2017 I think I won the President's Award with Southwest. And so Gary Kelly actually gave me a, a guitar, Southwest guitar and uh, it was a, it actually it's a Taylor guitar painted in Southwest colors. Here, I'll show it to you real quick. And uh so he uh as a as a gesture of you can see it it's kind of cool looking and it sounds oh it's way out of tune I didn't I should have tuned it up before I came on your show but but so uh when I won the president's award he gave me that guitar and I and so I always carried that on the plane and I carried another guitar prior but uh i the southwest guitar was amazing because you could get it out in front of the passengers and sing a song in between flights or kind of as p- part of my uh briefing to the passengers and it, the time i'd get the guitar out of course painted like the southwest jet they just loved it and uh, uh, so that's uh and then the terminals we did several concerts for southwest airlines in the terminal my retirement was one of them we jumped off the plane. There were actually several hundred people in the terminal, Patriot Guard riders came out. We had family and friends, basically got off the plane, walked over, you know, we had set it up earlier that morning, picked up the guitar and rocked, rocked D terminal in Phoenix for about an hour, it was so fun, so.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. And, you know, speaking of the Patriot Guard, this is kind of how you and I got connected years ago uh, I had done, a, I had worked with the team, I should say, because it's never just one person. It takes a team to get anything done. But I worked with the team yeah. um, that did a series of events commemorating the 40th anniversary of the fall of Saigon. Lincoln actually has uh, one of, if not the largest, uh, South Vietnamese refugee populations in the country. And the population's done really okay. integrated in the community and they've been very successful. And so um, anyway, What we did was we had a series of events that, for the first time in 40 years, brought Vietnam veterans together with South Vietnamese refugees. And it was really healing and impactful for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. Um, But we didn't have any sort of a budget (laughs) when we did this. Yeah, yeah. That's where you and I came in because uh, somehow we got connected and I had seen some of the work that you were doing with veterans. And we were trying to find a way to get you here for that. And it just didn't work out. Um, But I followed you ever since. So so That's right, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your work with veterans and uh, and why that's important to you. What uh, Detail some of the things that you've done that I probably don't even know about.
1: Yeah, uh, I've, I'm a very patriotic uh, guy. I did not serve. I went to the Vietnam era. I had a draft number and all of that. I was in college at the time, uh, but I was always raised by my parents to to appreciate America. And I didn't. I think as a young person, it's hard to appreciate what we really have in America until you travel and get out of this country. So uh, when I was in my 20s, I got to travel. I I did some movie work in Africa and Australia, and I got to you know fly the camera jet, which we can talk about later. But um, so I I saw how 99% of the world lived, and it really made me appreciate how we do live in America. We're not perfect, but we are far from anyone else in the world and the lifestyles we have and the opportunities we have here. So when I formed CTS, my band, it was really to uh, do something of greatness through music, through original music. I write the music and try to inspire others and, and send a message to our audiences of, you know, kindness, forgiveness, gratitude, that kind of, those kind of subjects. And so, CTS has been in existence since about 2001. And what we did is kind of put ourselves, put something bigger than ourselves over the, the music. You know, uh, we, didn't, we didn't want to do the bar scenes. We did, we did that a little bit, but we really wanted to do something, you know, bigger than us. And so we attached ourselves to the veterans because I am so patriotic. They are the ultimate uh, servants in my estimation of uh, a servant's heart and what a servant's heart is. And so we plugged in. I wrote a, a couple songs. Uh, one was You Won't Be Forgotten. I wrote after 9-11, started opening some doors. Uh, long story short, we've, we've played in the Pentagon to Pearl Harbor and the band is uh, honored military and veterans we did the 105th birthday of ray chavez who was the oldest Pearl harbor survivor and we played on the uss midway in san diego and uh, so we performed on an aircraft carrier 105 year old ray chavez right up front row rocking it out and having fun and. Um, Snowball Express is another one where that's where we really got to know Patriot Guard writers uh, about a number of years ago during the Iraq war. They started Snowball Express and it was to bring the Gold Star families to an event, a four-day all-expense-paid trip basically for the Gold Stars. For those that don't know what a Gold Star is, it's uh, families that have lost a loved one in military service, and so th- that really plugged us into the military, uh, you know, honoring our veterans, our firefighters, our police, our first responders. Uh, Snowball was pivotal to me because we opened for Gary Sinise in way back in 2005 or six, and uh, we were at Oakley headquarters, and I didn't really quite understand Gold Stars, and what they how deeply you know it, it meant to us, and uh, 22 bus loads of, uh, bus of people rolled up in and got out at the Oakley headquarters. We were standing on the stage, and in every face, there were about 2,000 people you know, women, men, women, children and every one of those families had lost somebody in the ultimate sacrifice for our military, and that really touched me and that got me going with really wanted to serve for the military and honor our veterans and, and we met towards the patriot guard writers they're an amazing organization and so we played snowball express numerous years i wrote their song a uh, theme song called snowball express and the rest is history we've been doing it ever since i just played a, an event this last weekend called we the people uh, happen to have a song called we the people so we got to play the song and it it ran with the theme of the event and we we just can't say enough thanks and do enough for them as far as i'm concerned
0: well i'm with i'm with you i uh i didn't serve um i consider my civil service uh, you know being a servant now um i've uh i've been pretty open about this in the past i was born with an eye, an eye disease and um, it's just kind of fun for the folks at home. If, if you get grossed out, now's a good time to not look at the TV or the, the screen here on the computer. So I figured the military wouldn't give a guy a gun who could do this with his eye. Wow. <laughs>
1: That's pretty <amazing. laughs> That's pretty amazing. Well, I don't know. Do, about they, that. do they still work together, though?
0: Do they still work together, mm-hmm. your eyeball? Yeah, well, it's actually, it's, it's pretty neat. So... I had, uh, that one never worked. I was born with glaucoma, and uh, by the time they caught it when I was a baby, that one was already gone, and so I had this painful painful eye up until, honestly, 2017, so just a few years ago, and I finally just decided to say, okay, it's time to get rid of it, and so what they do, uh, it's really interesting, so they took the eye out, and then we donated it to the University of Nebraska Medical Center for Glaucoma Research which is cool. And uh, then at the same time, they put in like a little acrylic ball and they wrap it in donor tissue, uh, donor scleral tissue, and they attach the muscles back to it. So, you know, a prosthetic eye is not perfectly round like an eyeball. It's actually kind of domed and then it's kind of has an indent on the back that fits into that ball. So the muscles still move um, when the other eye moves. And then that force, that, that causes this to move. So what was really cool then with- Amazing. Um, what was cool with my story was that we donated tissue, but we also received tissue. And so that was kind of a kind of a fun thing. Wow. If anybody at home wants to do it, if you Google my name or you look at, uh, I think Lincoln Man Donates Eye to Science, uh, actually Brian Mastery from WWT in Omaha did a story on it. Um, it ended up airing on all of the gray media stations uh, between uh, Christmas and New Year's that year uh, in 2017. Wow. So that was kind of a fun thing. Um, but I'm a... Amazing. I'm a, I'm a lemonade out of lemons kind of guy, right? So if you've got to go through something like that, you might as well do as much good as you can with it. Um, that's how I... Think.
1: Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, and I talk about on our stages about this, you know, there's, there's 7 billion people on earth. And, we, it, it's hard to fathom how big of a number that is but to put that into perspective 11 th- 11 i'm sorry a, a million seconds is 11 days a billion seconds is about 31 years and there's seven billion of us on earth and can you imagine if every one of us just once a day did a, a random act of kindness had a servant's heart you know mentality that i'm gonna even if it's just you know, holding the door open for somebody at a store or whatever. I mean, look at what you did. You donated, you know, a very important organ of your, your body to, for science. And, you know, so, you know, there's very few, but we live in this world. that seems to just want, it. it's all about me. What What's in it for me? What, you know, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, you know, everything's about me, me, me. And it's a, uh, you, you know, all the ads you see and everything. So that's why I, I try to inspire a message to people that, you know, go go do something kind for somebody. It, you'll be amazed at how many doors it opens for you. And, 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 and the world is a better place by us doing that. So we're all on the same page with that kind of mentality.
0: I suspect that this is why you and I adore uh, the military members and their families so much is because they, they personify that. And from what I've seen you on social media and just from our conversation already today, you know, I recognize that we, we both have that same philosophy and my everything that drives me. And I don't, this is not, I don't want this to be about me. Right. But I want people at home to understand why we do some of the things that we do. Um, you know, I think the very basic thing that anyone can strive to do with their time on earth is just to leave the place better than they found it. Um, you know, and folks that are able yeah. to do it every day make that unique sacrifice that military members make by the way two of our children uh two of our adult children are serving right now um
1: they're they're... wow tell them thank you well and
0: i don't know they they both came to us with that notion right they they came to us and said hey i want to do this and of course we encouraged them but wow yeah i i think that you're right not to not to it's really easy to go to look at the rest of society and say well this is what what should be done and this is how it should be fixed but i think uh, if we're to be honest um people who don't have that kind of behavior modeled for them or don't have someone where they can see that happening in a, in a daily basis i think it's really hard for them to to model it themselves
1: yeah well and that comes from the, the most you know far above uh schooling education and anything out there is parent a good home teaching your kids kindness and love and forgiveness and all of those those more that moral compass and so many kids don't get that you know it's uh i was just you know all the crime that you hear in like chicago cities like that that you know those those kids you know i can't imagine growing up in an environment like that and and trying to get yourself out of that so it's uh yeah, we can. We have to start. The, the The home is the foundation of, of what we all become, and you know, and our the sum total to me of this. I talk about this stuff a lot. The, you know, the eighty years is about the average lifespan of humans, give or take, which is about thirty thousand days if you break it into days. And and when you break it into days, it doesn't sound very long, and it's not. and, and some of us get less, some of us get more. You know, Ray got 105 years, that's pretty phenomenal. But the sum total of this journey we call life is really, what did you do while you were here? You know, when, when people come to your funeral, they don't talk about, you know, oh, he worked a lot of overtime. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's gonna be, you know, he was a good person, he was giving, he was kind, he was a good father, mother. You know, role model, whatever he he did things in the community, he or she, and so the, that's the sum total when it's all done. And and there's no there's no U-Haul behind a herd in the end. You know, it's it's all uh, it's it's what we did, the lives we touched along the way. So I think if we live like that and strive to live like that, like every day counts, it's a gift. I, I just released a song called One Life, and it's just about Every day is a gift, you know. We have to be careful of COVID, but we can't live in fear. We have to live our lives, you know. And of course, be careful like we are with anything. You know, when I get in an airplane, I'm careful. There's risk involved though, but I don't live in fear because we're supposed to live life. Every day is a gift. Every day we wake up and have another breath as, as to make a difference on this planet. Like you said, leave it a better place than we came. It's, that's, that's mission accomplished for us, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And you know what? I don't know. if I suspect that you found the same thing that I do is when we, when we do live our lives in that way, when we're giving back and, and finding ways to make, to make not only our community better, but people around us better, you know, we, well, I get more out of that than I ever would have imagined. Um, you know, I love seeing people be successful. It makes me feel good. I love, you know, go to the grocery, car, pulling a grocery cart in that somebody left in the parking lot. It's the smallest thing in the world. But now I know that somebody else doesn't have it. And, you know, that's, that goes a yeah. lot towards contributing to our self-worth. And in a society where so many people feel like they don't have a lot of worth in their lives, the very simplest thing I think that can be done is to simply put yourself out there and do good works. Generate your own self-worth. Don't yeah. wait for that. Don't wait for somebody else to tell you that you're that you're worth it on social media, or look for some sort of validation from your celebrity icons and heroes. You know, go and generate your own self worth. That's where it comes.
1: Yeah, and I try to tell people that uh, I think God puts us here, all of us, with with gifts that you know w- we can't be good at everything. You know, I think we're a lot of times we're trying to tell kids like oh little johnny you're you're great at everything oh you you know what we, we're gonna suck at some things there's just there's just how life is you know i could want to play basketball like michael jordan all day long but it's never gonna happen you know a i'm not tall enough and b i wasn't gifted like kids but i have other gifts and so my my message to a lot of people is find the gift inside find something that lights the fire inside of you the passion that that ignites you and it, and not only to go do good in the community with it, but if you can make, possibly make a living at it, how cool is that? You'll never have a job in your life because you're doing something you love and something you're good at. And so, uh, you know, I happened to get to fly airplanes. I think, I think God gifted me pretty well to fly, to fly airplanes. And 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 then the music gene as well, I got from my mom. So those are my gifts. I'm terrible at golf. I admit that. And, <laughs> and I'm not a handyman. So I can't fix stuff at home very well. But we all have those different things that we can do well. And so do do them and use them for good. I, and I think it just makes life so much better. And, and the lives you touch along the way, like we
0: talked about. So. Now, I don't feel like I work at all in my job. And okay, preface to my board members. I do work very hard. But I don't feel like I do, because I, I just, it's like you said, I love what I do. And you see Sergeant Sorghum back here, um, and it's kind of our mascot awesome. of Sorghum industry. But you know what I love? I love to be creative. I love ideas, and I love institution building. And part of what I love about what I do is yeah. that I can be creative, but also, you know, I'm working in, in an industry that really has been in decline for 30 years. And, and a lot of our viewers probably have no idea what Sorghum is. By the way, they should go check it out at uh, NebraskaSorghum.org. Um, But I love that I get to help rebuild that industry to be creative and that my board has trust in me and, and gives me that license. Um, but I'll tell you what, how I got here, and we'll, let's talk about the converse of that. You know, you said recognize what your gifts are, but I think it's just as important, if not more so, to recognize what they're not, right? So like you said, you're not going to be a basketball player, right? You're not going to be a carpenter. Right. Um, I remember in a a previous job that I had, um, it was pretty detail-oriented. I had to be detail-oriented to be successful. And I am just not naturally detail-oriented. And I did it for several years. I've made a lot of mistakes. And every time there was a mistake, boy, you know, you'd get beat down about it. Um, You know, and and I had a man time or a boss time that kind of managed from that kind of perspective rather than lifting up kind of you know, oppressive down. And I got to the point where I didn't feel like I could do anything. And it wasn't until I left that job and decided I wanted to kind of do my own thing for a little while, which I did. Um, But that's when I really had this this, uh, realization, right? Um, That I'm just not naturally detail oriented, but I don't have to be, right? What I have to be is I have to be willing to accept the things that I'm not good at and willing to reach out to the people that are good at those things we can work together on it. and when i when i figured that out and then i could you know again stop beating myself up and start focusing on what i'm good at and then really kind of right. work, build collaborations and how to you know how to be that for somebody who's maybe detail oriented but isn't big picture oriented right so i could be that for them they can be that for me and those synergies that's when i really started to pro- professionally flourish um and really you know to be and I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day. It was a, um, an immigrant from, uh, I don't remember which country, somewhere in Africa. And he's here in Lincoln and he's working in a publishing business. And uh, we were at a networking thing and we were having this conversation and it like blew his mind. He's like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. And so so when you just talk about those things and talk about your experiences and your challenges, that can be enough to help somebody kind of, you know, take that next step in, in their career or their life. And
1: that's- yeah. We're important. Yeah. Absolutely. And we can inspire others. And, you know, you, the, to me, the, you think of the miracle of that, you know, we're, we're so worried about, you know, what color are we? What, what diverse, you know, like, you know, that we should be celebrating that 23 pairs of chromosomes make up the DNA of humanity and how wonderful it is how diverse we are and, and that, and that we all have different gifts, we all have different things, to, and it, and it makes it a beautiful world, you know, and we're, so I try to, we're, it seems like we're living in this world that is trying to divide us Of uh, oh, because you're a certain color, or you're this or that, you know, there's good and bad on all walks of life, doesn't matter what color they are, there, there's some, there's some great people, and there's also some bad ones, it's just, you know, good and evil exists like and, and so, you know, we can tr- do our best to promote goodness and kind And I raised my kids all along the way. Don't expect life to be fair. Don't expect people to treat you well all the time. You're going to fall down on your, you know, on your butt sometimes and, and have a rough time. But you pick yourself up and, and move on. The, the successful people do that. And kindness will open up more doors than any college degree or or anything for you you know just being nice to people and my kids are now in their 20s and they're realizing that but you know just if they put in a little extra and they they you know they work hard and they're kind to people it's like whoa i got a promotion you know how that's amazing (laughs) and because in this world today you're gonna thrive if you have those kind of mindsets
0: it's a spirit of famine versus a spirit of plenty and that's how i describe it um in relationships, and I, I, I get it. You know, really competitive industries. I'm sure the airline industry is competitive too, just like any any other industry. But, you know, you can really go one of two directions when you're competing in that environment. Um, you know, you can either say, "Hey, I've got to fight tooth and nail for everything that I've got," which you've got to do anyway, right? You've got to always put out your best.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You either do that at the expense of the people you're working with, or you can say, "You know what? I'm going to continue to do my best, but there's no reason that guy over there, that gal over there, can't do their best too." We can work together, and we can come up together. And I think um, you know when we start to look at the world in terms of it not being a zero-sum game, where we can all win in some way or another. Not that everybody's going to, right? But Mm -hmm. we're not afraid of somebody else's success uh, taking away from our success. Then I think that we can do things.
1: Absolutely, we we should. You know, it embraced other people's. And I just I just think it's a, it's a wonderful world out there. I, I meet so many amazing people flying. Um, you know, when I retired from Southwest, I went back into corporate aviation. So I'm flying a, a corporate jet out of Scottsdale and a helicopter as well. I fly an A-Star. And I'm also flying the Learjet. Out of LA that does all the movie work. So I we do Boeing commercials and Bombardier, and I chase you know I pulled 15 feet off the wing of a Dreamliner and get paid to get paid to film it. You know it's pretty remarkable. But it, you know I, I fly some incredible people. You know I I flew uh, uh, Rob Walton of Walmart, and he he owns a helicopter and his wife likes to have a safety pilot with him. He's in his 70s. So we flew up to Colorado to his ranch, you know, and there's a guy that's, uh, you know, multi-billionaire. I don't know what he's worth, but but just the nicest guy. And you're sitting there with him for three hours flying to Colorado, one-on-one, talking over this beautiful landscape of our country, flying low-level in a helicopter, getting to know a guy that's, that, you know, he told me they employ a million three people, you know. So, and I and I told him, I go, think of the lives that you've affected. You know, the the, the, the meals and the dinners you put on families around across America. And, you know, and he was just the nicest guy. You'd, we walked into the FBO and we had to get uh, fuel, made a fuel stop. And there's people milling around. He's in his shorts and sandals and t-shirt. And he's walking around and no one has a clue. It's Rob Walton, you know, of, of the Walmart family. <laughs> <laughs> and you just go. It it it's it's so cool to see that they're just they're just regular people, but you know they've they've made quite the difference in the world. And so and and they even say it's not easy all the time. There's times it's been hard, and and you fall down, and you have you know ups and downs. Businesses have bumps in the road, just like people's lives do. So, but I've I've met some amazing people, and I love talking to them, and I and I cherish their success. I like the fact that how cool of a story that is that, you know, and that's the American dream. And the American dream is because of our veterans and the people that serve. There's no other place in the world you can start in the mail room and become a CEO if if you really so desire.
0: I think you're spot on. I haven't done nearly the amount of traveling you have, but Yes, that's the first takeaway is that, you know, one, people are people wherever you go. And I think I've said that before on this show. Um, people are people wherever you go. Uh, we might disagree on how we get the things that we basically want, like security for our family, healthy food, you know, clean air and water, that sort of thing. We might disagree on how we get those things, but we all want those. things. And um, yeah, yeah, kindness is, uh, kindness transcends language barriers. I can tell you that much. Um, you ever in a foreign
1: country- Can you imagine the lifestyles? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was
1: going to say, can you, can you imagine the lifestyles we live in this country? We, sometimes it's real easy to forget that, you know, you go back 100 years, just go back 100 years, they didn't have anesthesia, you know, you wanted to, you know, a hip joint went out or a knee joint or shoulder, they just suffered. You know, people lost their teeth. People died early. That I forget. I think a hundred years ago, the average lifespan was in the 40s. You know, so we're one day a, g- a guy got on my airplane at Southwest Airlines. I was helping board them, and I'm standing there saying hi, and he goes, uh, I go, hey sir, how's it going? You know, and he goes, well, I'm a little upset. You know, we, uh, we're late, and I just heard the announcement that the internet's not working on the plane, and I'm just I'm a, little, I'm a little mad right now. And I, and I said, you know, I, I, I get that. I understand. And it's frustrating. But I go, Here, here's the way to maybe look at it a different way. I'm going to strap you in that chair. And we're going to go 600 miles an hour to the sky with ease. I'm going to take you seven miles above the earth. And I said, you can roll up your window shade and gaze on a view that mankind dreamt of just a hundred years ago. It was a pipe dream to store above the clouds. And I said, you know, I'll even buy you a beverage of choice. You can sit back, watch a movie and enjoy. And in two hours, I'm going to deliver you safely. That would have taken probably a year in a covered wagon. And and (laughs) so to me, it's perspective and it's easy to lose perspective. And when you perspective out people kind of go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm going to just sit back and relax and enjoy this ride. And, and because we live in the, the most, you know, you turn on the news, it's like doom and gloom and everything's bad. But we really live in amazing times, you know, uh, like what they did with you medically with your eye. They, they couldn't have done that a number of years ago. There's no way. And so um, it's it, I think perspective is a huge thing. That's easy to lose in today's modern world, yeah. Because we do have so much,
0: yeah, right? And it's not just time, but it's location too. And we've talked about this before. And that you know, going to some other countries, even contemporarily, right, in third world countries or even developing nations or the nations that are, are we would consider you know, modern, um, well, it, the, the amount of uh, stuff that we take for granted. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, these other people um, around the globe only dream about is, uh, is remarkable. And you're right. We get spoiled. It's absolutely yeah. a perspective issue. And I wish, I wish that uh, every American uh, you know, say of, of age a high school graduate, or even in high school um, you know, would, uh, would be required to take some sort of a, a service based trip mission uh, to somewhere in the world uh, just to be able to come back and say, yeah we've got it pretty good here. And by the way, here's how we're connected to that country and here's how we can help them over there. Not to, not to just come back and gloat and say, Hey, yeah, we've got it pretty good here. I mean, that appreciation is nice, but uh, to be able to say, mm-hmm. hey, but actually we are all connected. And maybe this village in, in Indonesia, um, you know, maybe here's how I can help them uh, and help them to, to grow as well on a macro level.
1: Um, yeah.
0: That, that kind of thing would be really, really cool.
1: I spent some time in Africa. I did a movie job down there years ago. I actually took the Learjet to Africa, filmed Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, a bunch of, you know, so we did a uh, kind of a God's eye view of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's, I think it's like 18,000 feet high. So you can't get a helicopter up there. So we took the jet, but I was I was always amazed at how they had, when you meet the people there, they have nothing. They have nothing. I mean, you see women walking with barrels of water on their head just to take their water to their family. and But the interesting thing about it that I noticed is that, is that they're happy. They have joy in, in their heart. Uh, one night in Nairobi, I, I hailed a cab at the hotel, and this guy comes driving up, and he is just so joyful, the, the car looked like it was going to fall apart, you know, it looked, <laughs> and I needed a cab. I think I was going to go to dinner or something in town. And and so he gets out and he's wearing a suit. He's got a tie, suit and tie. He's a cab driver and he stands there like at attention. Yes, sir. Where can I take you? And he was so happy and joyful to be working and have a job and be productive. And that really hit me, you know, because we have, we have, you know, I, I meet people that, you know, they, they want that government to hand them money. They want, they want to, they want everything given to them. And it's like, no, it, it's not, it's a better feeling to be productive. It feels good. And, and that was a big lesson for me when I, when I visited like a third world country like that, like uh, Africa and Kenya. And just the, it, like you said, there's people or everywhere around the world. were are pretty much the same. And, so, it, so what brings that happiness? Yeah. And then I, on the same note, I've flown famous people that have, you know, 15 houses and four jets and cars and property and money and, and, and they don't seem that happy. They're not that, you know, I've, I've flown a couple that they, they just absolutely seem miserable and you go, Whoa, how can that be? <laughs> you know? So. Well,
0: you yeah, the old adage that, uh, you know, the more you control stuff, the more stuff controls you. Right. And I think, um,
1: yeah,
0: I think that a lot of folks, and maybe all of us at some point in our lives, if we're to be honest, like when we're younger, uh, you know, we tend to equate happiness with stuff. Right. Because it's easy to see stuff. Yeah. They have a lot of stuff. They must be really happy. Um, and I think you're right. Actually, you know, the folks that don't have the stuff, I mean, First of all, they don't know what they're missing, which maybe is a good burden to have or, you know, but uh, right. but also they they're more in tune to the relationships rather than their stuff. Right. Whereas the more stuff you're trying to protect it. Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually I'm coaching my daughter's softball team right now. And she's 13, It's our youngest daughter, and uh, she's got a couple of girls on the team that are lower income. I mean, it's pretty uh, Lincoln's not like a, a monolith. Right, it's not like you've got the rich part of town, and the poor part of town. I mean, these kids are socioeconomically diverse, and they, you know, they, they don't know any different. They play together, they do all together. So you know, we've got a couple right. from some some families that uh, have, have had a hard time, and uh, I was given one of them a ride home one day because her dad had a golf league or something going on, um, and uh, I drive a 2016 Camaro convertible. It's the closest I can get to flying. Them. And uh, I was asking okay. on the way back to her house, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this girl's in, you know, seventh grade and she gets really quiet. She's like, well, I don't really know. And I said, well, you can be anything. If you can be anything at all, what do you want to be? And you kind of see her wheels turning and she looks around my car and everything. And she says, I want to be rich. And I said, well, I, first of all, I don't think I'm rich. Right. By any stretch, but, uh, yeah. but, you know, we do appreciate everything we have because we've worked really hard for it. But, I, uh, I looked at her and I said, well, you know, I said, there's more than one way to be rich. I said, it's not just money. She says, it's not. And I said, no. I said, actually, I said, it's uh, a lot of it's relationships and people. And I said, no amount of money I've ever made has made me happy. What I've done with that money has made me happy. You know, being able to give back to the community, right. have the time uh, to coach, for example, Right that's the kind of thing that being successful has allowed me to do. And that's what makes me happy. It's not the stuff. It's not the car. It's not the Spider-Man comic books behind me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, The stuff, George Carlin did a whole thing on stuff. You know, you can probably Google it. It's, uh, he did a whole skit on stuff. He goes, yeah, I got my stuff and you got your stuff. And, and then we need a bigger house to store all of our stuff. And then, and then it's, it's so funny the way he does it, but it's so true, you know, our, our stuff, our, this life is a kind of an accumulation of, of stuff. And then, and then, and in the end, it's all kind of borrowed. We just kind of, you know, when we pass on, it's, it's all done. It's kind of leased for a while, basically. So yeah. this stuff. <laughs>
0: exactly right. But, but, you know, stuff can shape us both positively and negatively too. Right. So, um, every- yeah. So every episode, we try to do what I've been calling the Bagley Beg. And I don't know if you saw it on another one, but Mark Bagley is my favorite Spider-Man comic book artist of all time. And you can see the Spider-Man picture on the wall behind me. I'm a huge Spider-Man geek. But here's what I don't tell a lot yeah. of people up until this point when I'm telling everybody. Um, you know, what Spider-Man really meant to me and why I'm still at 40 years old, a Spider-Man geek, was because back when I was like 13, 14 years old, my, my folks had divorced. I was trying to figure out, you know, what's my place. Um, you know, that's when I started reading Spider-Man comic books. And everybody knows the mantra of Spider-Man, right? With great power comes great responsibility. But what, what I always took that to mean, and what really inspired me and kind of informed me from there, and still does to this day, which I know sounds incredibly geeky, that the guy's like whole life philosophy came from Spider-Man. It's not entirely true, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But what that tells me is not just great power comes great responsibility. What it tells me is that, if you can make a difference, you have a responsibility to make that difference, right? And that might come at personal sacrifice. But if you can make the world a better place, then you kind of owe it to the world to do that because your life really isn't your own, right? You're put, here, you're put here by your creator to make a difference, to be a positive difference in the world and to, um, you know, help other people to know him as well. Uh, so if you- yeah. can, if you can do that, if you can do that, you have the responsibility to do that. And so for this week's Bagley Bag, as we beg for Mark Bagley to come on this show sometime and maybe uh, you know, do a comic book cover with Sergeant Sorghum, which would be super, super cool. Uh, you know, that's really what reading his, his, not reading his art, obviously seeing his art, but reading uh, the, those books back in the 90s when I was a kid. That's
1: really what it meant to me. And actually still as an adult now means to me. So Yeah. Yeah, it does come you know, agree with a lot of responsibility. Like you said, it's pretty but what a what a rewarding feeling to go out and, and try to make our own difference, whatever that in the world. You know, it's just like I said, I think we're created to be productive and be kind and giving. It's just it's such a rewarding feeling uh to, to to do all that that's i i i don't ever take for granted that i can jump on a stage and take a room of a thousand people and and turn that room into you can direct wherever you want it to go but i love getting you know bringing joy and happiness to them and get their phones out and you know clap and have fun and sing and laugh and dance and you know, and I, to me, that is a huge honor and a gift that I love to give back. And, you know, could I sit in my home and just play by myself and, you know, just keep? Yeah, I could. But I think, like you said, that would be a waste of a, of a gift that, that we're called to, you know, go out and help make a difference in this world and, and do something with it. So uh, every chance I, there's times I get teary-eyed on stage and I have to fight it because I'm just getting overwhelmed with this feeling of, like, look at these people. You're bringing them hope and joy, and and it's just it's just the biggest thing in the world to get to do. I love it.
0: So uh, I I don't tell a lot of people this either, but again, now that it's on the podcast, everybody's going to know. But uh, for those of you at home, and maybe you too, Jeff, I I have a bombshell announcement for you. And mankind has been looking for this for millennia. The meaning of life. I figured out the meaning of life a few years ago. I was mowing the lawn. That's boom, it came uh-huh. really simple. You want to hear it? It's it's three yeah. meaning of life. The whole reason we're here in existence on this planet. To come to know Christ, to choose Christ, and to help others come to know Christ through the expression of our gifts and our actions. For me, anyway. That's it. Everything else is cake and gravy, or frosting, or whatever you want to call it. And I think what you're doing yeah. is kind of the same thing.
1: Couldn't agree more. You're you're on the we're on the same page. Our our entire journey here on this planet. I mean, you think about it. This in what well, we believe. Uh, this is this is just a, a short time here on Earth. Like we said earlier, however short or long we get, but. It's for the next journey, which is eternal life in the end. And because of what we believe in our, our belief in God and Christ. So, um, yeah, it's and we all fall short. I mean, we all make mistakes. I've got plenty of uh, demons in my life and that we have to fight and deal with. And so it but it's just a wonder. I think people without that belief, it would be a very shallow existence on on earth and so uh and that's in a way what we're all trying to do whether it's through your show whether it's through me on stage or just talking to somebody alone in the jet or the helicopter that it's that you can you you don't even have to talk about god but you can also but you can you can be a shining light in the world that somebody goes huh something about that person that I just can't quite figure it out, and 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 that's to me, our whole journey here is about all of that.
0: Well, the most effective evangelism is to not evangelize at all, but again, just to show the example. Absolutely. And that's not to say that Christians. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you've you've had some challenges. I've had I have things I struggle with too. Um, you know, nobody attacks. Uh, nobody attacks a battleship when it's not in battle. <laughs> you know, if it's not, it's not the the yeah.
1: Um, So it, well, non, I've had non, I've had non-Christians say, you know, oh yeah, that Christian thing. See, see what that guy did. It's like, well, no one said they were perfect. You know, only, only Christ was perfect. You know, we fall way short of that. So none of us said we're perfect. We're just trying to be better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, well, and I don't know my Bible well enough to, to quote a lot of scripture and things like that. Um, and I don't think, I don't know that necessarily that that's super important to be able to say exactly where this passage came from. I think what's more important is people who just see no. daily life. Is that guy being a jerk or is it being a nice guy? Like, oh, you held the door for me. You didn't have to hold yeah. that grocery card in or whatever it is. And I don't ever have to say that I that that's what I believe, right? I think that they they can kind of see it and say, hey, you know what? I want some of what that guy's got. He's happy. He's not upset, um, you know, whatever. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. We've got about uh, maybe 10 minutes here left, 10, 15 minutes. Um, and one thing that I want to know more about is your film career. And I might be wrong. Okay. But tell me if I'm wrong, because for some reason I've got this in my head. I've got this notion in my head that you filmed the, uh, the action sequence at the end of True Lies down in the Florida Keys. Was that right? Yeah. You did that. Okay. So th- one of the best movies of all time in my mind. Maybe.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I loved it. I and the opportunity to work with James Cameron and you know it's uh, so I, yeah. I'm I I got into Screen Actors Guild through flying. I flew a lot of famous people around. I was a young guy, jet pilot, flew movie stars, producers, directors around. And one thing leads to another. You know, hey, we need a. We got this uh, TV show called Fall Fall Guy or Night Rider, and we need a jet. So, you know, yeah, I can handle, I can take care of that. So that's how it kind of all started. And getting into SAG is kind of a catch-22. You got to be a SAG member to get a union job, and then, but you can't get the job. You know, it's just this whole, but you, as long as you have somebody that takes you under their wing and signs you up for it. So, so that's how I got into SAG. And then I, I met somebody in the business that designed camera systems. And he needed a he needed a place to put it in a in a Learjet and, and modify a Learjet. The Learjet was perfect platform because it's fast, maneuverable. It's basically like a fighter, and it, it's a good formation airplane. So I helped put that whole package together and ended up flying that jet for years. And I then after I retired at Southwest, I'm back flying the same jet you know that I took around the world years ago, and uh, so. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, I am in IMDb. If you look at my name, Jeff Senior, in IMDb, it shows all the movie credits. And True Lies is one of the funnest ones, of course, most definitely, because it was. Uh, James Cameron isn't the easiest guy to work with, but he, you know, he's got a focus and a vision, and he knows what he wants, and and you better do it right, you know, type of thing. So. Uh, so the, the, I filmed the sequence in True Lies where the Harriers blow up the bridge, the truck on the bridge. So the timing of that was, was, a, was crazy because the truck's going 50 miles an hour. We're doing 300 miles an hour. We were angled at the bridge. They had charges set in the water to make it look like the Harrier was shooting. So if you were offset of that, it would be a useless shot. So you had to be lined up on that. You had to have the truck at the right spot at the right time. So it was just crazy timing. And I remember telling James Cameron, I I really need to rehearse this a few times too. Because, you know, I'm the one directing the jet. Okay, come a little bit right. Stop. Okay, drop down. I was literally flying over his shoulder. So he's under my nose and I'm looking at him. I'm sighting the bridge. I got the truck and okay, release the truck. And it was this whole thing that had to come together and be choreographed. And he said, you can rehearse it as much as you want. It just better be right when you tell me you're ready to do it. And I, I was like, okay, <laughs> no pressure. So, so that, and that it, it ties into our conversation about life. You know, it's full of challenges and, and challenges are fun. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we don't, but you know, that one, I just, so have. I rehearsed it about four times and told James Cameron, I'm ready to do it. He goes, okay, let's do it. This is a real take. And, and, and it, it all came together and worked out and it's like, woof. Okay. That was a success. And, and of course, my reward is going to the movie theater and see it on the big screen. I'll edit it. And, uh, and then they get me, meet guys like Arnold and, you know he's just amazing he was so cool to work with and every night there's a party and the whole crew you're part of the crew and you get to go hang out with them and of course the locals in the key key west area couldn't stand us because we shut their roads down and did all kinds of (laughs) crazy stuff but but uh anyway and uh i've i've worked on some uh, silence of the lambs executive decision hot shots some pretty uh pretty cool movies and then hundreds of commercials for like Boeing and uh, different airframe manufacturers, Fle- flew at NASA uh, out of Edwards Air Force Base They do all the flight test research out there. So, I mean, we did all high angle of attack research, uh, Pegasus rocket launches. We did B-52, uh, you know, shot F-18, X-29, X-31 you literally sit in the briefing room with a group of engineers and pilots. And I was just this kid from LA and I'm sitting in there and there's I'm surrounded by astronauts. And you're going, the, the intelligence level in this room is so far beyond my comprehension. And here I am with these guys, uh, you know, briefing on how we're going to go shoot this shot. And so the honor of getting to do that is, has been... You know, just amazing. The Blue Angels, I shot Blue Angels three times. And and uh, sitting in the same room with the Blue Angels going, I grew up watching this team. It's not the same guys, of course, but the team is so, I had such a high regard for what they do. And to sit in a briefing room with the pilots going, you're just going, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't feel deserving of this. But So I've, I've had some great journeys, no question.
0: There's something to be said uh, for never being the smartest person in the room, and I always, I uh, always tell folks like so. When I put my teams and stuff together, I always want folks who are smarter than me. And if you depending on who you talk to, they might tell you that's never a danger. Um, but uh, uh, I've, I've really found <laughs> it's a lot more fun to be with, uh, be with folks who are smarter than you. Hey, what's your take on uh, on SpaceX? Since you spent some time with some folks that I'd love to spend time with. Uh, I'm a big space junkie too. I love I, I love uh, astronomy. I yeah. um, follow a lot of astronomy sites and read a lot. And uh, you know, yeah, space space and history are like the two things that I love to read about. Um, so anyway, what's your what's your take on like this new era in space travel where we're seeing this uh, commercialization of it, taking it out of the state sphere into the private sector se- or sector?
1: I I love it. I love it. I, uh, and last year I flew, uh, I filmed all the parachute tests for SpaceX uh, out of the helicopter. So I'd, go, I'd fly to California, pick up the helicopter. Most of it was done out at Barstow Daggett or we went through a thermal as well and um, in Yuma area. So I'd film the actual, they'd actually drop a, a, a capsule, like a mock-up capsule out of a c-130 and then these giant chutes open up and then they test them and we we'd follow it all the way down to the lake bed and land and i was and i i'm totally impressed with you'd land and they'd there'd be a group of 30 engineers none of them were over 30 years old they were all kids and you're standing there you know, after this thing just landed on the lake bed and the helicopters parked over there and I'm standing there listening to them and they're going, well, you know, next time we need to put more tension on this line and maybe adjust this and the shoot, maybe a little more weight here. And and they're all, nah, I think we should do that. And they're all collaborating. And again, around amazingly smart young people that you you go, you know, these, and then when you see SpaceX on TV, when they're they're landing rocket boosters on a pinpoint, you know, of a, of a GPS waypoint. And you just go that, is, that's just sci-fi. That is just total sci- science fiction that we're witnessing in real time. And so I, I admire Elon Musk and his, his, uh, his vision. And he's just one of those kind of guys, he's, he's out there, you know, and so smart, but I know now he's, he wants to go to Mars and all of that kind of stuff. I've, I've been a huge space guy since I was a kid. The landing of the moon, I was a junior in high school. I I, I was an avid fan ever since. The Apollo missions, all of that stuff, and the, the risks that it took. And so, you know, Neil Armstrong was an, was an inspiration to me to go into aviation. And so I just think to see what it's doing today, and I believe that if we're not exploring... You know, it'd be like telling Christopher Columbus, oh, that's stupid to go across in the, the ocean in your little boat. You know, there's nothing out there to work. You know, can, can you imagine if we hadn't done that? You know, because if as mankind, if we're not pushing the envelope, we're not finding out more about our world. Okay, okay? But remember, so I love the
0: space. But remember, there were those people that told Columbus that. And just like today, there were those people that probably told Elon, you can't do that. And so I think if you're going to be an innovator Absolutely. in the world, you've got to be able to have that confidence to say, you know what, it hasn't been done yet, but that doesn't mean it can't, be done. you know, and I, yeah. if, no, I... If, if you can't be an innovator in my mind, okay, if you can't be creative and you don't want to take the risk and you don't want to get out there and, and be on the cutting edge, and that's okay because that's not for everybody, but the very least you can do is be an encourager for those folks that are. Because just because it might seem like a thing now, doesn't mean that it's always gonna be. I think that's a really important thing. I mean, think about the impact you're making on other people. You wanna see innovations in the world? Encourage the innovators. Yeah, well, the,
1: the NASA space program innovated so many products that we use today in our, in our regular lives, people don't even have any idea And so future exploration is, you know, that that as we push out to Mars, just getting men and women to Mars is a huge endeavor, you know, the logistics involved in it. But I just think it's it's fabulous. It's like the Christopher Columbus heading across the Atlantic Ocean. You know, it seems so, like, so far-fetched, but guys like Elon Musk that are going, we can do it, we're going to do it. You know, I JFK you. said, well, I want to land on the moon in 10 years, you know? And they said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> and we did it.
0: And I want to tell you, Jeff, one of the greatest regrets I have from my childhood growing up in the 1980s, I never got to go to space camp. Space camp was a big thing, right? And other kids wanted to go to Disney World. I never cared about that. I wanted to go to space camp. And uh, somewhere mm-hmm. past a vault or maybe hanging on a refrigerator somewhere in a basement. Um, when they were designing the uh, International Space Station, there was a contest. Kids could enter this contest to draw what they think the space station should look like. Um, <laughs> it was just kind of a fun public nice. type thing. But I did enter it. So somewhere in a NASA vault is a Nate Bloom original, you know, stick figure sketch. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool, Nate. Well, what a pleasure it's been talking to you